You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Hero of the Story. I'm Aaron, and with me, of course, is Brian. Yes, I am. <laughs> Good to hear from you, Brian. How you doing? I, I'm doing well. I've been waiting to do that for a while. Now. You have been. You have been. So, um, so today we are sharing with you a session from a recent online event that we hosted called the Gospel at the Center, and this was a this was a phenomenal event that that yeah. we had recently that had uh, 28 different speakers who all shared from shared their perspective on what happens when. When the gospel is the center of your culture, how does it shape how we live together and how we go forward on mission? Um, and so, all this week we have been sharing from we have been sharing a few of these. We've heard from Micah Fries, um, Nancy Guthrie, Dahati Lewis, and today um, you're going to hear from Jen Wilkin, who's a Bible teacher and author from Flower Mound, Texas, as she discusses the essential role of women in the life and mission of the church. Yeah, really timely message um, as we're recording this. And if you're listening to these episodes when they first release or early on, mm-hmm. you, you are aware that this is going through our culture today like crazy. This, this, this question of how are we viewing women in our culture? Yeah. And that has not just stayed in our culture, of course. The church is addressing this as well, that we have things going on within the, the churches um, that are causing us to take a step back and thinking, wait a minute, are we faithfully seeing everyone as image bearers? And what role do women have to play in the life of the church, juggling this against Scripture, of course, and, and saying, all right, what does Scripture say, and how does this bear out, and how can we come to a better, more gospel-centered, more godly understanding of what this looks like, and how can we practice what we believe? And I think that's the key, that mm-hmm. we're really, thankfully, God seems to be doing a work in us to force us to come to a clear idea of practicing this doctrine. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was actually in the room when we recorded this one, and um, it was it was challenging for mm-hmm. me to to hear. Um, I'm I'm a dad. I have two daughters. Yeah. I have a son as well, and so it really got me thinking. Um, not just about how I interact with their mom, which is which is important. Yeah. Um, not just how I interact with women in the women in in our church and here here at work yeah. as well, but even how am I how am I training my son exactly. to treat women, and how and and how are my daughters seeing me and him yeah. engage with 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 yeah. females as well. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, right now we're going through this this time where it, it's a painful time that, mm-hmm. that God is doing a work and, and his corrective work as Micah was talking about in, in that episode, if you listen to it, yeah, that God is, is disciplining and correcting his church and that's painful a lot of times. And I think we're going through this painful time. Yeah. However, I'm also very optimistic and encouraged that we as the church can lead the way as God designed us to by how we value and love and esteem women in a way that honors them as, as image bearers. So I, I think this is a great opportunity that we have uh, to bear to bring the gospel to bear into our culture. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, we hope you find this episode helpful. Um, and of course, you can watch actually the video of this and all the other sessions of the Gospel at the Center at gospelproject.com. One of my roles in my current job at the church I serve at is to help with interviews. And so during the interview process, we'll send out the application where they have to answer just some basic questions so we can get a feel for where they're coming from. And one of the questions on the application is, who most influenced you theologically and spiritually? Like who are your mentors in the faith, even if you don't know them personally? Uh, it could be an author or something like that. And uh, when I get into the interview, I'm always interested to read through that question because in all all of the time that I have been interviewing men for positions on staff, not one has ever listed a woman in that category. It's gotten to be kind of like a, a game for me to see if one's gonna pop up. I'm like, not even your mom? You couldn't list your mom there? And I understand why that might be happening, that when you're in an interview situation, you're thinking, okay, what's the answer they're looking for? And you're filling in the names that you think are most likely to make the interview go well. But it is kind of a curious phenomenon to me that in most cases male interviewees have a hard time coming up with female influences on them spiritually and I would argue that that ought not to be the case I would say that the picture that the Bible paints for us is one in which men and women are partnering for kingdom advancement in a way where we should know both men and women who we can reference as major spiritual influences in our lives but sadly, often in the local church, the vision for the church moving forward depends almost entirely or entirely on the contributions of men in the minds of many. And I'd like to see that change because I don't think that's the pattern that we see in Scripture. If you go back to the creation account, you find that both man and woman are created in the image of God with equal dignity and with equal worth, and they're equally charged with taking forward the mission of God, which is to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with little image bearers. That's what Adam and Eve are supposed to do. And when we get to Genesis 2, when we find out that actually Eve is created after Adam, God speaks of the creation as being not good until her presence appears. That the aloneness that Adam is experiencing is actually not good, but it's not good in a particular way because he does not remedy Adam's aloneness by creating a man to be with him. Why? Because the cultural mandate is to rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. So the woman is going to be completely necessary for that to take place. In fact, she's going to be essential and indispensable to the mission of God. Now, zoom forward to the New Testament for a second because I think there are implications we need to draw from the cultural mandate that will speak to the New Testament church. And in order to see the connection, you need to go to Matthew 28 where Jesus speaks the Great Commission because the Great Commission is saying in spiritual terms pretty much exactly what the cultural mandate was saying in a very literal sense back in Genesis chapter one. Think about it, it says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with image bearers. Now, if the contributions of the woman in the cultural mandate were essential and indispensable, if the mission did not go forward without her, then it makes sense that the Great Commission bears the same relationship, that the church and the mission of the church will not go forward without the essential and indispensable contributions of the woman in partnership with the man. 
We are created to partner with one another, certainly each with a distinct role that we play in that, but with equally important roles that are contributing to the success of the mission. Women are not sidekicks in the kingdom of heaven and men's superheroes. We are in kingdom partnership with one another. And that one another word is important because in the New Testament, you have over 54 statements referring to the one another's of the faith, the way that we are to treat one another within the family of God, in which we're described as Adelphoi, as brothers and sisters. So we have an original family in Genesis 1, in which the man and woman partner for the mission. And then we have this expanded spiritual family in the New Testament, where men and women partner in brother-sisterly partnership to accomplish the mission of God, to make more image bearers by converting and discipling them into the faith. So our churches should look like that. Our churches should reflect that not just the gifts of men, but the gifts of women are essential. But they don't always do so. And I think there's some key ways in which they should. Because the fact that women are different from men means that what they bring into leadership environments is going to be distinct from what men bring in. In fact, if you look at the social sciences, they'll tell you that women tend to make decisions along collaborative lines, while men tend to make them along more individual straight line thinking lines. Women tend to think holistically and to look for consensus in solutions, whereas men tend to report and give orders. And in fact, even the moral decision-making of men and women has some differences to it. Women tend to make moral decisions that function around how people relate to one another, whereas men tend to make them around processes. If you've ever had a situation in your church where a process drove the way you were dealing with a couple who were in crisis in their marriage, or a process was, dealing the, was driving the way that you were dealing with a particular relational issue, and you found that people got hurt in the, in the, in the wake of it, it might be because you had a way of dealing with that situation that leaned more to the masculine and less to the feminine in the way that it was handled. Women tend to ask, well, how are the people involved being impacted by the process that we have in place? So I would argue that the church needs some very distinct things from women, that if they are not present in the life of the local church, the church suffers. I would argue that there's no such thing as a church in which the men are flourishing and the women are not, or vice versa. There's no such thing as a church in which the women are flourishing and the men are not, because if one group is not flourishing, then the other, even if they give the appearance of it, is not in a state of spiritual health. We need one another. So what do women contribute uniquely to the local church? We contribute a perspective that is necessary for the church to flourish. Because we have a read on vulnerability in a way that men don't, because we understand vulnerability into adulthood as embodied females, we can see things that are needs in the body of believers more readily than a man might sometimes. If you've ever noticed who's serving in the nursery, who is it? It's typically the women. Why? Because we have eyes for the vulnerable. If you've ever noticed who's serving in foreign missions, who is it? Well, it's predominantly women. Why? Probably because we have eyes for the vulnerable with a more top of mind sense than men do. It's not that men don't see these things or that these things are universally true of either gender, but that generally speaking, because women understand vulnerability for the entire length of their lives, they're going to gravitate toward others who are experiencing it and look for ways to mitigate that look for ways to advocate for them to receive the care that they need. 
So church staffs need women involved in decision-making because it is not good for the man to be alone. And yet, if you look at the rooms in the typical church where most key decisions are being made, you'll find that they're either predominantly or entirely made up of men. And I would argue that over the long term, your church is going to suffer if that is the case, that it's better for a church to have formal channels of input for women so that the needs of those who are marginalized, the needs of those who are vulnerable, are rising up into those rooms and being discussed and addressed in a way that they might otherwise not be. So we need the influence of women at various levels in the organization. As high up the organization as your theology allows their voices to speak, you should not just be acknowledging that it's important, but looking for ways to make sure that it is actually happening and advocating for those voices to be in those rooms. Be mindful that in a room where you have five men and five women entering into a dialogue, this is just secular research will show, that the men typically will offer twice as many comments as the women. It's just kind of a fact of the way that meetings tend to run just in any environment. Transpose that into a church setting where women are looked at funny if they present in a way that might indicate they don't have a quiet and gentle spirit. And you can imagine that women are probably contributing even at lower rates than they would be outside of the church. They're not going to be offering their opinions as freely. So we have to keep that in mind. We need to set up environments where perhaps there are more women than there are men, or perhaps there's only one man and a whole lot of women. And then you're gonna to begin to hear different kinds of feedback on the life of the church than you would otherwise. So we need the presence of women in decision-making and we also need it in teaching. Women who have the gift of teaching are not given it as a nice add-on to the teaching that is done by men. God does not give gifts to believers that are not necessary for the flourishing of the church. The fact that the gift is given means that if it does not function in the local church for the benefit of the local church, we are wasting a precious thing that the Lord has given us that's necessary for the health of that organization. And the nice thing about women teachers, there's two things that I'll mention very quickly. One is that we embody for the women of the church that they too can think hard about matters of faith, that they too can encounter the scriptures and come to them on thinking terms and, and take them in and be able to learn from them, that they don't need a man or a pastor to be the primary means by which they take in the scriptures. That that's certainly an important means, but it doesn't have to be the primary means. They will stand before God and give an account for how they loved him with their minds. And when they see another woman doing it, they begin to conceive of themselves as able to do that as well. So that's an important thing that female teachers do in the life of the church. Another good reason for having women teachers is that women hold an empathetic authority with other women that the pastor is not going to or that a male teacher is not going to. We can speak to the besetting sins of womanhood. We can speak to the unique circumstances that women encounter. And we can speak to the mindsets that they get into in a way that a male pastor is not able to. There are a lot of great things that he can speak to that women need to hear equally as much as men. But because I am a woman who is living the same embodied experience of these women, I can relate to them on some levels that he may not be able to. And this should give him a sigh of relief because it means that there's that partnership we were talking about. I'm carrying the load that is harder for him to carry and lightening his burden of leading the church. Now, the other thing that we need women for, and perhaps this is the one that's dearest to me, is we need the voices of women in areas of pastoral care. We need the voices of women in rooms where the most vulnerable among us are giving voice to their hurt. 
And if you have a church where cases of domestic violence are not regularly coming up before your pastoral staff, there's a good chance that those stories are not coming to the surface, even though they are there, because there is not a woman that a woman who's in that situation feels comfortable going to and telling her story to. You know who she's probably not going to tell it to? Two elders sitting in a room asking her to share her story. So when we have eyes for the least of these, we value upraising the voices of women in our organization, not so that those women on the org chart can have a louder voice, but so that those women who will not otherwise have a voice begin to be heard throughout the levels of the organization. We need women in the church who have visible leadership roles so that those who are not in a leadership role, who are just sitting in the pews wondering, is this a place where I can flourish, will be able to look to them and say, oh, there she is. There she is. I think some of where we've missed the boat on this is that we have lost our sense of the church as the family of God. When I say the family of God, I mean that it is a church that has brothers and sisters, or as the New Testament would say, Adelphoi, brothers and sisters who live out the one another's, but also that it's a place like any family that has mothers and fathers. And too often in the local church, we have fathers and children, but a motherless home. The local church should be a place where there are visible church mothers that the women in that congregation can look to and model their lives on and learn sound doctrine from, visible, because if there are not visible female leaders in your church, women are going to look outside of your church to find them. And that means that any woman who identifies as a Christian in the larger culture and has a message to say is going to have a pull on your women that she ought not to have to a level that she ought not to have it. Your women will not evaluate her message based on its theological soundness when she's outside of your church. They will evaluate it based on how they feel about her. But if we have women in the local church who are giving compelling testimony to the truths of Scripture, then the women in your own church will look to these women first before they will look to any outside voice to be their spiritual mother. So yeah, my secret hope is that 10 years from now when I'm conducting interviews in the local church, someone's going to list maybe even more than one woman as having had a profound influence on the way that they think about theology and the church and the life of the believer. I care about that because I think that the scriptures care about that. I think that they paint a picture of men and women partnering as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers within the family of God in such a way that the mission goes forward, that we make more image bearers and the church fulfills the role to which it was called. Thanks for listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project, a family of resources revealing how all Scripture gives testimony to Jesus. Learn more at gospelproject.com.